ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. It is another win, a 19th of the season for Max Verstappen. In a year where there has been no Verstappen, Max Verstappen. What a year it has been for him. Can excellence be boring? That's the question many motor racing fans are pondering in the wake of a year of domination from Max Verstappen. F1, look, it's never been more popular. Drive to Survive helped a new generation understand the nuances of the sport and in marketing speak, engaged a whole new audience. And the problem is that some find domination a little bit meh. It's a bit rough on the Dutchman. After all, he's just prosecuting a case to be F1's greatest. It's a reality, though, for the audience. So who might solve Formula One's Max Verstappen problem? I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Joshua Robinson writes Formula One and other things for the Wall Street Journal. He's here to talk to us about F1's Max Verstappen problem, if you could call it that. Josh, the F1 season wrapped up in Abu Dhabi last weekend. And it look, it wasn't an exciting finish because Max Verstappen, he wrapped things up a long time ago. Can you just start by qualifying how exceptional his season has been and where he's tracking in terms of all-time drivers? I mean, qualifying it is easy because this is the most victories by a single driver in a season. Uh, He won 19 of the 22 Grand Prix, breaking his own record for victories in a season. Now, there weren't always this many races in a single calendar year, but as the calendar expanded, so did the opportunities for for Stappen to to flex his greatness and the greatness of the the RB19, the Red Bull monster. Yeah, unbelievable, guys. You you deserve that. What an unbelievable season we are having. Uh, you can all be very proud here at the track, back at the factory. Everyone, unbelievable. You got filled a, a rocket ship of a car. I get the sense there's an element of the Novak Djokovic's around Max. I mean, people recognise the greatness. How could you not? But they don't necessarily warm to him. Why do you think that is? Well, Verstappen can be a prickly character. He came in uh, to F1 as a very precocious teenager. He drives with his elbows out. <laughs> He's not always the friendliest over the radio when I mean, cursing out his own engineers. Gap, 2.8. Please, no talking, and in the breaking. Cursing out other drivers. To, in his defense, he says it like it is. And there's a very Dutch frankness about him, bordering on rudeness sometimes. You know what he's thinking at all times. And so that doesn't necessarily make him the most sympathetic. And I think people sometimes resent the dominance a little bit because they would like to see wheel-to-wheel racing and different winners every weekend. But that's just not what happens when you have an all-time great like Max Verstappen. Yeah, I think you've touched on something really interesting there, the idea that neutrals would like to see more competition. And if we consider the dominance that Red Bull have from a car perspective and from a driver perspective, I'm interested to sort of unpack or unpick how Formula One might solve this Max Verstappen problem. I mean, is it going to be the likes of Ferrari's Carlos Sainz, Mercedes, George Russell, Lewis Hamilton? How does the gap close? So I think it's important to understand that one dominant driver and one dominant team is actually the sort of natural equilibrium of Formula One. Mm. 
every few years when they change the technical specs of the sport, one team inevitably gets it more right than the others. That team happened to be Red Bull under the current regulations. The previous generation of rules belonged to Mercedes. Seven consecutive Constructors' Championships for Mercedes. They win here in Emma. Get in there, Lewis. That is it, mate. Mercedes AMG Patrona seven times, seven times, mate. So you do get these long stretches of dominance until the next rule change. And that's where Red Bull is right now. It was Mercedes before, and we had Ferrari in the early 2000s uh, with Michael Schumacher. The difference is when Michael Schumacher was dominating the sport, F1 really was not subtle about some of the rule changes it brought in purely to slow down the Ferraris. In conversations I've had with Stefano Domenicali, who's the, the CEO of Formula One, he said, no, we're actually not going to do that um, with Red Bull. And he made quite a, a subtle and interesting point, which is sometimes you do need these periods of dominance because if you want to have legends in the sport, and bear in mind this is a sport that has ha developed a massive new audience in recent years mm. through Drive to Survive and you know other things that have contributed to its spike in popularity. So all of those fans may need to you know construct the legends of new drivers. And Max Verstappen is that. Max Verstappen starts his final lap of the season and becomes the first driver to lead a thousand laps during a Formula One season. And what a season it has been. The problem is, you know, for neutral or for if you're just tuning in as a casual fan, the price you pay for building a legend is those years of sometimes monotonous dominance. If we accept that Red Bull has a superior car, and I'm thinking my way through ways we might see someone challenge the establishment, then you'd think that the most likely competition would have to come from within their own team. I mean, Sergio Perez, he had his moments in 2023, but he was a long way behind Verstappen. And this will shock you, Josh, but Australians love Daniel Ricciardo. So what would need to happen for him to be potentially back at Red Bull next season? How plausible is it in terms of actually happening? Look, I think it's more plausible now in the current climate of F1 than it's ever been. And and I'll tell you why. Daniel Ricciardo's value is not just as a driver. Mm. Very talented driver. Very, he was, you know, he came in with a bang when he arrived in the sport. There were a few years of plateau and he ultimately fell out of it, as, as we know. But when he returned, some, by the time he returned, something had changed, and that was Drive to Survive. And he was one of the stars of that series from the get-go because he was charming, he was goofy, he took his shirt off a lot, and he had the million-dollar smile. I just want to tickle my scrotum and touch my nutsack. People would argue that they're the same thing. Maybe they are, but scrotum is ticklish. Ticklish it is. <laughs> and Daniel Ricciardo brings fans, whether or not he wins races. That has inherent value to Red Bull, which, let's not forget, is only in this business to sell energy drink. You know, I, I think there's a very compelling argument for Ricciardo to be in that car next year. Of course, Sergio Perez brings his own sponsorship and brings a lot of money to, to Red Bull as well. But the dynamic with Verstappen is, is uncomfortable. Yeah, don't worry about the DRS, Max. Let's check it through. Let Checo through. Max, let Checo through, please. Max, what happened? I told you already last time. Uh, you guys don't ask that again to me. Okay. Are we clear about that? Checo would like to compete for a world championship. Verstappen very much lets him know who the one, number one driver is in that team. I think Ricardo might be more inclined to accept a number two role and, you know, continue mugging for the camera the way he does and moving cans of Red Bull. 
It's interesting as well, the dynamic around Red Bull boss Christian Horner. He has a reputation of wanting internal competition. But do you get the sense that that maybe has shifted over time, that there's an idea that it's more trouble than it's worth when you've got a driver as dominant as Verstappen? So perhaps the motivation to have that competition coming from within isn't as relevant? Decades of F1 history have shown that internal competition might be exciting, but it's also not sustainable. Um, and I'm thinking back to Mac- the McLaren years of Prost and Senna, you know, even, even some of the Mercedes years where Nico Rosberg was pushing Lewis Hamilton. And, and I remember Toto Wolff saying to me, you know, you might be able to do it for a year or two, but when you get into year three or four, that tension inevitably bubbles over and becomes more trouble than it's worth, as you said. The other Australian we need to sort of talk about is Oscar Piastri. Uh, He and Lando Norris took great strides with McLaren in 2023 and esteemed people like Christian Horner have talked about Piastri being a potential world champion. You know, Oscar, he drove for the Arden team in Formula 4 and Formula Renault. He was obviously a a significant talent and um, there was an opportunity for Red Bull to look at him at the time and we, we didn't take up that option, which is something that I regret. How high do you think his ceiling could be in 2024? Do we dare dream of a podium for someone like Oscar Piastri? I I think Piastri had about as good a season as any rookie can hope for. He won a sprint race, he got on the podium, he was very consistent in the second half of the season, and he couldn't have timed it better either because as he arrived at McLaren, the McLaren made huge strides over the course of the season. That car, the car that finished in Abu Dhabi, was so much better than the car that started at the beginning of the season. And they expect to keep going in that direction. So by next season, we might see him and his teammate, Lando Norris, really be competitive for race wins, for podiums, right in the mix with Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari. Joshua Robinson, it sounds like Max Verstappen and Red Bull's dominance is not going anywhere in the short term. Thanks for unpacking what is a fascinating quandary. Thanks for having me. Headlines. It is all happening in the AFLW. Richmond star Monique Conti has claimed her first competition best and fairest, which is not bad when you consider she's also playing in the WNBL for the Melbourne Boomers. Incredible. Meanwhile, the AFLW Grand Final won't be changing venues, despite Princess Park having already sold out for the season decided between North Melbourne and Brisbane. Now, capacity for that venue is just 13,000, but the AFL has opted against playing at a bigger venue like, say, Dockland Stadium, which they own. They say because of major music events held there in recent times, the turf isn't actually in adequate condition for such a big game, which is probably fair enough. The news follows revelations that AFLW boss Nicole Livingston will step down from her position at the conclusion of the season after six years in that role. Matilda's news, and Sam Kerr will not play for Australia in the final two games of the year against Canada in Canada, as she battles with a foot injury that she suffered playing for Chelsea in the 5-2 victory over Leicester over the weekend. The news means Sarah Hunter will come into the squad. The 20-year-old midfielder is currently playing for Paris FC. And Australian netball legend Liz Ellis has hit out at Netball Australia for forcing players to attend a ceremony for the award named in her honour. There's an ongoing pay dispute and NA threatened Diamonds players with legal action if they boycotted the awards. Ellis says the governing body has treated the group with, quote, callous disregard. It feels like there's much more to come on that story. 
I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Poppy Penny. Thanks to Sky Sports, Fox Sports, Netflix and Formula One for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.